Today we're going to be talking about, um, I was going to talk about a little bit of a follow-up on our last talk on discernment, on, uh, which was about um, kind of figuring things out in your world, like that you might be walking into, like, uh, I don't know, there's so many examples, uh, like uh, Halloween or uh, ministry to different spiritualities, um, or just different practices in our world, and we were talking about, you know, what is sin, and how do you walk into things like that? And uh, today I wanted to follow up and say on that, like we talked about how, what is a sin? And, and then once you identify what a sin is, and if it's not a sin, you have freedom, but you're supposed to guard your heart. You have to be careful with your heart. Even if something's not a sin, you have to be, we're, you know, we're weak people. We have to protect ourselves. And then even if you feel like you have the strength to walk into a situation, you need to be aware and guard the people around you because uh, you're in a position of leadership, whether you feel like you're a leader or not. And... Um, so we were talking about, about those realities, and I said this in that talk, but I don't feel like I emphasized it enough. And our goal is not to figure out how much darkness that we can handle in our life. Like that's not, the goal is not to figure out what's a sin and what's not, and then kind of walk as close to that line as we can. And that's what I wanted to talk about today, uh, about um, being... Uh, like John 5.35 said about John the Baptist, he was a burning and shining lamp. Jesus said, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. In kind of quoting Isaiah 62, 1, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a, bright, burn, as a burning torch. Our church is not called to, uh, to dabble in darkness. Our church is called... Uh, to be a burning and shining lamp, uh, to be in the fullness of God. And, um, and we're called to be burning and shining lamps. I feel like that's like a vision over our church. And as I was sitting, uh, standing and worshiping, and this is our birthday, like this is our, our birthday. We started on September 9th last year. And I just had all these stories coming back to me of all these different things and the, and the prophetic moments and the promises that have happened over this church and how this church got started. I just feel like I have to tell you some of these things. Like uh, I don't know how many times I've said it from the front, but it's important for us to realize some of the roots. I know we all have our different ways of coming to this. We all have our own callings. Uh, but it's important to know kind of the, the foundations. Well, I remember we were originally called to be church planters to India. We were... Um, missionaries and our title was a church planter I'm a church planter that was a, a call on my life it is a call on my life and so we went to India after a year or two of of, um, of fundraising I had to run I fundraise quite the salary and we did that and uh, then we left and for years during that time I was getting prophecies of death over my life they, they talked about it being prophecies of resurrection, but you know what happens before resurrection, right? You know, uh, so people would say I was a Lazarus. That was like very common prophecy for me. Uh, it was one time I was a little girl who got raised. I, I just, all these things about, you know, resurrection. And I'd be like, thank you for your prophetic word of resurrection. Uh, it's very encouraging, <laughs> really. Uh, I don't feel dead yet, so I guess that means it's coming. Um, and so it was just this theme for maybe two or three years before we went to India. We went to India um, 
uh, for our long-term mission. And of course, there's that death of like losing everything, but that didn't feel like death to me. I felt, I felt called to India. I felt good about being there. I, uh, before being called as a church planter, I felt a call in my life to be, to be a Cyrus, and not just my S-Y-R-A-S Cyrus, but the, the Cyrus in the Bible, uh, you know, King Cyrus, who released the Jews to go uh, and build, build Israel again, to build their city, and he funded it. And I remember going to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, and when we were there, there was a program called the Cyrus Program. And I was like, what is this Cyrus program? And, I, and uh, it wasn't just this happy coincidence. It felt like a call. Uh, my whole life I've been called to money. I've been called to make money and to, to give money. I've been uh, called to, to finance. Um, and it's been a scary thing. It messes with my heart in a big way. One of my desires to go to India was I, was get, to, I get to be poor. I was so happy about being poor. I was like, oh, this is going to be not complicated. And then I ended up being in a missionary organization that generally has a call to the middle class, which means if you're middle class, if you're living like a middle class Westerner in India, that's actually like very wealthy in India, right? So I was actually put in this mission organization that was actually called to the wealthy, and I fought it. And all my teammates went over to live in this really nice apartment, and they had somebody cleaning for them. Me and Natasha, I dragged it, I don't know, Natasha was, Natasha was great. She came with me and we, she was excited with me. I shouldn't frame it that way. She actually really was excited with me. Um, and we went to this family. Uh, they were pastors and, uh, I mean, they weren't in the slums, but they were, uh, it was a different lifestyle from what we were comfortable with here, right? Let's put it that way. And boy, they had the best food, just, just saying. Uh, but, uh, you know, other than that, it was, it, you know, it had that kind of physical challenge to it. And I was just enjoying it, you know. I was just so happy to be in this place. I had this dream of dying and being a martyr in a ditch, you know. It's like I am. I I wanted to be in the slums. I was visiting. I wanted to go to villages, and uh, I got some opportunities to do that while I was there. But we weren't there all that long, and Natasha got pregnant. Natasha was. We had been unable to conceive. We had gone for an exploratory surgery, and Natasha had been diagnosed with endometriosis, and. Uh, uh, we were scheduled for a surgery to actually have that removed so that we could get pregnant. Uh, John Arnott came to India and to the pastor that we were staying with. And normally I wouldn't be somebody, especially, I wouldn't be somebody who would get to meet John Arnott when he's coming to minister, but hey, I'm white and he's white. And so it's like, hey, you, you're the white guy. You go sit over there and make him feel comfortable. Um, so... I'm sitting there with John Arnott, and I go to his healing service, and ironically, Natasha was too sick to go to the healing service. I don't know how that works, but uh, so I went with to the healing service. It was a different kind of healing service. We were on the floor. We were sitting there. I'm still even sitting. I'm taller than most of the people there, but we're just all crammed in with the men. I always get, oh, it's so funny. I can tell so many stories about India. The women get to sit to the side. You know, if you line up for something in India, we went to, I'm going to have stories now. We went to the uh, India-Pakistan border, which is where they all kind of show off their nuclear bombs and they kind of line up and like they do these parades where Pakistan rolls up and like does their dance and like, you know, we're better than you. And then India goes up and does their parade and they do these high kicks and things like that. They don't actually show off their nuclear bombs, but I felt like at the end it would be appropriate for them to like roll up and see like who has the bigger nuclear bomb, you know. Anyway. So there's a huge line to get into this thing, and the women don't have to stand in the line because it would be completely inappropriate. Because when you're standing in line 
in India, you're actually kind of part of the squirmy worm. It's like about five, maybe this line was about 10 people thick and went on for, I don't know, like half a kilometer. And you stand in there and you're kind of like, we had to hold hands with the people we were with, like in line with, because otherwise we would lose them because they would get squirmed and pushed and moved away from you. And you kind of, like, you kind of don't have to really stand. You're kind of carried by the crowd. Um, and the, you know, that's why it would be inappropriate for the women to be in there. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, so anyway, I was in this healing service with John Arnott, which was kind of squirmy like that, not as bad. But we were on the floor and we were just kind of grouped together. You don't need nearly as big sanctuaries in India that you do in Canada. Um, much easier in that way to run a church over there. But uh, we had this healing service. We came back and I prayed for Natasha. I really felt a lot in that and she got pregnant. So that was Simeon. He was conceived in India. We almost got a t-shirt made for him. Conceived in India. Uh, made in India, actually. I think we were made in India. That was the shirt that we had and um, he but Natasha had complications in her pregnancy and uh, Natasha really wasn't feeling well and uh, so we prayed and we were like okay Lord there's a lot of stuff happening here getting a feeling about something but we just need your word we're committed we're committed to you but you first and you tell us what we're supposed to do and we sat down and we prayed and the word that I got was Jesus being sentenced to death Oh, it still hits me. And I came back to Canada, and we didn't go back. And that might seem really, like, fun. Like, I get to be the rich psychologist in Canada. But that was death for me. That was, like, awful. And so, but I knew. I had these prophecies in my life. I'm a Lazarus. I'm going to die. The death is coming. Many people would say the death would be going to India and giving up everything, but that was life for me. That was easy. And it felt simple. With my emotional structure, it was simple, easy. I didn't have any complications. But no, I have to deal with money. I had to come back, start a business. Business is successful. And uh, I have to deal with money. We go to uh, start eventually where God calls us to start Spirit Room. Spirit Room, we actually had a, had a number of things that happened. The most powerful one was I was in bed in the night, and I woke up, and there was this heaviness on me. It was a very polite heaviness, but it was a heaviness. And I'm saying it's polite because when I would speak, if I allowed it, it, wouldn't, it would be my words, it was my voice, but it would be almost like a tongue. It would be like, uh, like tongues, but it was in English. Um... Did you know that tongues can be in English? It can actually be in English. It is a language. Uh, so <laughs> you can have tongues in English. And so I didn't have to translate. I mean, nobody was with me. Who knows? Maybe I was speaking Hindi. But like, uh, I heard it and I understood it. Uh, it felt like I was speaking English. And it gave me the mission statement for the spirit room. And the, spirit, and the mission statement, uh, as I allowed it, it was as like a gentleman. I could stop it if I wanted. I could stop speaking. But if I allowed it, it wasn't me. And it was talking about how the mission statement succinctly was to open the hearts and minds, open the doors of people's hearts and minds to the spirit. So we started the spirit room. Spirit room had actually been going a little bit before that. And during that, we had a dream. Natasha had a dream, which we took somewhat seriously, enough to really remember and write down, um, where she had a, a dream where... An angel came uh, and gave her, it was the interpretation of the dream, was, uh, we sat there and we're like, we feel like this is an angel giving us a church. Um, and 
we dismissed it, and we, well, not dismissed it, but we kind of hid it in our hearts. So maybe I'll put it that way. I hid it in my heart. Uh, and every year I would think about starting a church, uh, and Natasha would give me a good, like, what are you talking about? We have small children. We are, you know, all the very logical and good reasons for not doing it. And then uh, we started attending Catch the Fire, and Catch the Fire was a great place because we could find people. We weren't like the one pe- person in the church. We weren't the person in the church who was like prophetically oriented, you know, like we weren't that person. And so we actually had people that we could run with and uh, people who could help us with the spirit room. So it was just amazing to be there and have people come with us and help us with the spirit room. I remember Jessica having a prophecy when we, she came to the spirit room and I had a dream and she said, and it was this dream of this package coming in FedEx to my office, and she said to me, Cyrus, that's us. We are provisioned for you. We are provisioned for you to do the spirit room. So just loved uh, everybody there, and and it was such a home for us. Uh, I don't know how long it was, a year or two into being at Catch the Fire, we were at a conference, and Natasha looked at me during the conference, and she said, I think we're supposed to start a church. That was wild. Like, that's wild for her to say something like that. It would be wild for her, for me to say something like that and her to agree, but for her to say that out of the blue is wild. I think we're supposed to start a church. And there was nothing in the natural, there was nothing happening at Catch the Fire to make us feel like that was something we should do. There was nothing, there was no disturbance, it was just pretty much life as usual. I mean, there's always things in churches, but nothing out of the ordinary. And so it didn't take long. I was just flabbergasted and it felt so right just in that secret whisper place of like discernment that we actually told leadership of Catch the Fire that Monday. We're starting a church. We, we said we're going to keep it a secret. We're not telling anybody. Uh, we will tell people when you tell us to tell people. And, uh, but then we realized after we told them the next day, we're like, we didn't hardly like spend any time discerning this. <laughs> that was like two days and we're already announcing it to the leadership. And so I got on my knees as we were starting our, uh, our weekly, uh, what they called war room. And I said, Lord, it was like five o'clock and everybody's going to be coming in an hour or two. And I'm like, whoa, actually, I've been maybe a bit impulsive here. Lord, it felt so right. But Lord, confirm this. And don't just confirm it for me because I really feel good about this. But Lord, confirm it for the church that it would be born. Confirm it for the church that would be born because we need a story. We need a confirmation because it's probably going to be tough at times. And so the people came for, for War Room, and uh, we had a great group. Just lovely people. Loved just going into the spirit with everybody. And uh, Natasha was actually up with the kids, so she missed almost all of it, except for everybody saying goodbye at the door. Uh, but So she was upstairs, and I kind of led it by my... I didn't tell anybody about any of this. And... Um, I don't know. It, was, it wasn't long into the meeting, and... Uh, Somebody came and gave me a prophetic word and said, are you starting a church? And then followed that up, and I I was just silent. Uh, And then followed that up with, would you please start a church? By the end of the meeting, everybody was calling me pastor. Oh, I should tell you my answer. I was like, Jesus, Jesus. It's It's like, give me an answer. It's like, I just told... The leadership yesterday that I'm not going to tell anybody. This is so awkward. Uh, and I said, maybe one day. <laughs> maybe one day. September. <laughs> uh, seemed to cover things over and no more questions. 
by the end of that meeting, I, I don't know, I wasn't counting. I, I think it must have been over half of the prophetic words were for me being a pastor. Pastoral heart, blah, blah, blah. Like, pastor, pastor, pastor. And just to tell you, like, those prophetic meetings were not about me. I think I could count maybe on two fingers. I, I'm just saying that because there must have been a prophetic word for me at some point in, the, in our time doing the war room. But they were generally not prophetic words for the leadership. So this was very unusual. And... Uh, so then, uh, some turmoil started to happen in Catch the Fire, which was uh, we were somewhat aware of, uh, but not really all that aware of. Um, and uh, then, eventually, leadership came to us and said, we'd like you to announce it. And so we, we did. So the turmoil, we announced it to the leadership before the turmoil. And then we announced it to the church in the middle of it. And we were felt so like right in our spirits but we're like oh this looks so bad it looks so bad but our 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 word for that time was unity our word was i mean we were walking through a minefield but it was unity and to care for the people who were coming and being in that turmoil because they're good people and i felt like that was a word from the lord was like you are a place where you can care for these people where you can pick up these ministries because these are real calls on these people's lives. And, uh, and, I, and to set up a place, a home for them. I don't think that's the only call for Maple Crest, but it was kind of an initial call where it was like, I'm not sure if this was, like, it's almost, it's... I remember Mike Bickle talking about, Mike Bickle from the International House of Prayer, talking about one of his calls to do the House of Prayer in Kansas City, and he said... He got an audible voice of the Lord in a hotel room telling him to start this, this prayer. And then he said, okay, Lord. And then the God said to him, you're not the first one I've asked. You're not the first one I've asked. Lord, help me. So I feel this call to be like, God has a plan for the city. He's got his heart and it doesn't die with people. It's there. It's waiting for people to pick it up and walk with it. He wants to meet us more than we want to meet him. looking for these burning lights. So, I felt this call to, like, to start this church. So we went over the summer, we had a few meetings, people came, it was great. And uh, started in September 9th. A month later, we, a month later after that, we actually realized that that prayer, that, that dream that Natasha had for getting that church from the angel had actually happened two years before September 9th, on September 9th. I remember we started, we started in our house. So it was a year ago, basically today, a year ago tomorrow, that we started in our house. And uh, how far we've come. Just in the spirit and in practical things. I remember... I uh, finally got things organized enough that I could pray before the service. So I was laying in bed, just enjoying the fact that I wasn't frantically running around trying to get everybody organized. And Natasha walked in, pulled my earbuds out, because I was listening to worship music. And I had a tear running down my cheek, not from the earbuds, but just from the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, she didn't say sorry. Sorry, I have to interrupt you. She said, we have a problem, and I don't think we can fix it. 
That's starting a church. <laughs> I have a problem, and I don't think we can fix it. It takes the Lord to do these things. There was a marathon in, in our neighborhood. There was no parking. The police were protecting everybody from our house, apparently. So people couldn't get into our neighborhood. So we used every, we went up down the streets, looking driveways to put everybody's cars in. Anyway, just good memories of uh, just the things that we've had to do and the things that we've, that we've gone through to get here. Today I wanted to talk about the promises and how to inherit a promise. We are called to be a burning and shining lamp. We've had so many promises over us, it's hard to keep track of them. So many promises over my life, so many promises over the lives of the people here and over this church. And in some ways this church has grown significantly over the last year. And in some ways it stayed small. And I just want to say in the spirit that I don't care. Now there are moments, I'm human, there's moments when I care. But I don't care. I don't. I want as many people to get hit with the spirit as possible. So in that way, yes, I would like us to be a larger community so that more people can get hit with the spirit. There are so many people out there who need this church, who need these people in this church. But we aren't called to be big. We are called to be with the Lord. And even though this church has stayed relatively small compared to churches over the last year, we have grown in so many ways. We have grown in, in the Spirit and in, in being able to operate in the Spirit in a community. I'm so blessed to be with you. I feel like over my life, there were, did you know there was a time when I had a church service? We didn't call it a church service. We vehemently said this is not a church service. We had a spirit room service, but we had it on Sunday morning. Because we wanted to do 24 hours, and so we're like, hey, we're hitting Sunday morning. Let's do a Sunday morning service. I spoke to my family that morning. They were the only ones who came. We have grown significantly. <laughs> The, the spirit in my life has blessed me so much. It's blessed me so much. I am in revival, people. I don't know where you're at, but I am in revival. I am still Lazarus being raised from the dead. The Lord is lifting me from death into life every day that I'm here. When I think about encountering the Spirit and being with you and running with the Spirit, I am just filled with gratitude over what the Lord has done in my life and how He has expanded my tent pegs. If you want to inherit a promise, what do you have to do? First thing you have to do if you want to inherit a promise is you have to understand that you're not going to earn it. You have to understand that God wants to give you that promise more than you want to get that promise. He is not a Scrooge, and we are not poor children. He is a Father who wants to bless you so much, and we are children that are learning about how much He loves us and have trouble believing it. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, 
it says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. He wants to give us everything, and he's waiting for us to ask. And you might be like, I've asked Cyrus. Did it. Done. I asked. Where is it? Where is it? He's still trying to convince you through the spirit of prophecy. That's what prophecy is. He's trying to convince you that he actually wants to give it to you. You go for a prophetic word and he's like, I already have it here waiting for you. I'm just letting you know it's coming. I want to give it to you. I want to. Trust me, I want to give it to you. That's what prophecy is. I want to give it to you. It's not like, oh, I got a prophetic word. It's more like, I got a prophetic word, so now I know God actually wants to do the things he said he wants to do. Like, he wants to give it to you. And he's trying to convince you. Wow, he wants to do that for me? That's the, that's the response. It's like, he wants to. And wait when he hears your voice, he will answer. So what is hearing the voice? I've already asked, so where is it? Oh, Hebrews 6.12 So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promises. If you want to inherit a promise, the people who inherit promises, inherit it through faith and inherit it through patience. What's another word for patience? I'm going to try to say this. Markathromia. Patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, long-suffering. He's looking for people who are going to cry out to him. And he's just waiting to hear your patience. He's waiting to hear your perseverance. He's waiting to see your faith. And he's not doing that so that you can earn it. So that you can show, look at me, I'm, I am worthy. You don't get worthy by praying things he tells you to pray him. Pray to him. Like you just say, he says, tell me I'm wonderful. Lord, you're wonderful. Wow, now you're a great person. Like, that's not it. He's waiting for you to be rooted in him. He's waiting for, him to, for you to actually be found, have your foundation set so that when he gives you the blessing, it doesn't ruin you. We are supposed to inherit promises that don't ruin us. He's waiting for you to have a root system. He's wait, and it takes a while. It takes a while. Some people might say, wow, Cyrus, you know, this is going slowly. I am going so fast. The Spirit is blessing me so fast, I can barely take it. I can barely withstand how fast He's moving me forward spiritually and in blessing. If I was a stronger person, I could probably go faster. If you want this church to be a bigger, a bigger place, you need, you need to pray for me to be able to take more blessing. Lord, Give Cyrus more rootedness so that he can withstand the blessings of the Lord. Because I am already windblown. The Lord is giving me so much so fast. He just fills me with his spirit. He fills me with assignments.
I am just such a weak man. The things that are so heavy for me can maybe look slow to the outside. I actually don't think it's slow even from the outside. But it can look that way sometimes. Our, our, our community is going so fast. When I think about where we are now compared to where we were a year ago, it's so different. It's so different. The commitment is so different. The relationships are so different. Our hearts have been changed. So how do we get this root system to actually be able to persevere? How do we create a root system where his blessings don't blow us over? Luke 11, 34. Luke eleven thirty four. Your eye is a lamp to your, of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part in dark in the dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays give you light. So, remember that scripture I started with, John the Baptist? He was a burning and shining lamp. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while at his light. And that passage in Isaiah 62 about the brightness. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. You want to be a burning torch? Luke 11. If you keep your eye single, then your whole body is full of light, having no part in darkness. It will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays give you light. Do you want to be a burning torch like John the Baptist? This is the passage, how do you do? You have to keep your eye single. What is your eye? Everything. You need your being focused on God. When you focus on something, when you go into a situation and you contemplate something, think about something, you open yourself up. You don't try, you just do. You just do. And it might not seem like a lot, it's hard to measure, it's like eating vitamins, you don't really notice. But then all of a sudden you're sick. All of a sudden you have a mixture in you. Most people today walk around with a mixture. And we think it's okay because everybody else is walking around with a mixture. All my friends are walking with mixture. I'm doing pretty good. He's a preacher and he's walking around with mixture. I'm okay. We want to be wholly bright. We want to be filled. We want to be burning torches. We want to be burning torches. We don't want to be walking around with mixture. And unfortunately, it's invasive. It's so invasive and it's so unpopular. It's so unpopular to be a burning torch. 
you're going to get people telling you, oh, that's not a good idea. What are you doing? I remember a psychologist told me, oh, you know, Christians are okay as long as they don't take it too seriously. <laughs> oh, it's not, it's okay to be a Christian. But if you actually become wholehearted, you're going to be a problem. You're going to be a problem. And it's invasive. It invades us. I have people coming to me in my sessions. I'm a psychologist. People come. They have trouble making even the smallest changes. Even the smallest changes. They just, you know, go to bed like an hour earlier. That might help. Yes. Nope. Nope. Exercise. 15 minutes a day. Nope. These are small things, so small. People can't do it. Such a challenge. It is such a challenge. To be wholehearted, it takes a miracle. You can't like will yourself into being wholehearted. You can't just say, I'm going to be wholehearted. All you can do is put yourself in front of God and God will do a miracle in you. If you're wholehearted, it's not like, wow, you're a good person. You just had a little bit of sense to actually put yourself in front of God. It's like, oh, you actually realize that you need God and you put yourself in front of him and then he made you wholehearted. It doesn't mean that you're better than anybody else. You just got a little bit of sense to say, hey, I need God. And I'm actually not going to just say that. I'm actually going to do it. I'm actually going to go and pray. I'm actually going to spend a little bit of time with him. And then it got a little easier. Now I'm going to spend a little bit more time with him. And then he will do the miracle in you. But it's not you. I mean, you're great, God loves you, but you didn't do that. You're not stronger than anybody else. You just had a little bit of sense to say, I need God. That's all you need. It's so close to us. One of my dreams in my life is to be older. I'm not going to say how old. I always get in trouble when I list a number. Older. When I'm an older... I'm going to be sitting there and somebody's going to say the name Jesus and I'm going to cry. There's going to be a tear that comes down my cheek. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but when I'm older. And somebody's going to say the name Jesus and I'm going to be tender. I'm going to still be in love. After decades. You don't become tender by wanting to be tender. You become tender by spending time with God. We want to be full of light. So when I talk about, oh yeah, there's freedom. Things, some things are not sin. There's freedom to go and do things. Oh Lord, help us. Yes, there is freedom, but we are not to be mastered by anything. The only way I can be free to go close to sin, which we definitely are called to do. If you're on the earth, you're called to walk close to sin. All of us are doing it whether we like it or not. You don't do that by being like, I'm a strong person so I can focus on this a little bit. Because that just means you're going to be a little bit mixed. How you walk close to darkness is you don't take your eyes off God. That's how you walk close to darkness. You go up to that person who's filled with demons, and you think about Jesus. You keep your eyes on him. But you don't have to just walk to somebody, up to somebody with demons. 
All you have to do is drive down the road and look at a billboard. Like, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus all the time in order to be filled with bright light, bright righteousness. It's not strong enough to live with sin. It's wise enough to not take your eyes off Jesus as you walk in this world. He was a burning and shining lamp. He was a burning and shining lamp. Oh. And if we can walk, John 1, oh, John 1, where, this was a new one for today. One of the first prophetic words I've ever gotten was that I was a Nathaniel. Oh, what a word. Nathaniel was sitting under a tree, I think. And uh, Jesus, oh no, he wasn't under a tree. He's, Jesus said he saw him under a tree. And Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There is such a thing as an open heaven, people. You will see heaven open. And you will see activity. You will see angels coming down. And you will see angels going up. You will see heaven open. People, if we can have perseverance, if we can have the sense to put ourselves in front of God's fire and He can give us the strength to persevere, we can have an open heaven. When I got this prophecy, I was thinking, oh yeah, I'm no guile. I'm like, I'm the kid that wouldn't cross the lawn to do the newspaper. I would walk on the sidewalk all the way back on a rock. And like, it was like, I, I almost could have jumped over the grass to get to the sidewalk for the, other news, for the other house. But no, I walk all the way around. I grew up like naive. Anyway. Then I went and worked in the prison for a while. And I fixed it. <laughs> Got lied to every day. No guile. It's like, yeah, no guile. Totally missed the power of it, right? Nathaniel, you are a man of no guile. You are going to see open heavens. You think, you get impressed with these little things. I get so impressed with God's little things. It's like, oh, revival. It's like, yeah, but look what God, like he whispered something to me, people. He whispered it, you know? I get so excited about this. There's always these messages on getting excited about the small stuff. I am excited about the small stuff. It's like, whoa. He whispered something to me. He saw me under a tree. I have to be careful about not just being satisfied with that. I could live my life on whispers. But he has so much more. Nathaniel, wake up. Don't get too impressed with just these little things. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're big. You are going to see angels come down on the Son of Man. And I believe that's a word for us. If we can be bright righteousness, God is going to open up heaven. If we can inherit the promise, realize that he loves us and he wants to give it to us. We just have to be this, have the sense to get in his, in his presence. Realize that he has to hear our cry. 
We have to stay there. We have to persevere and have faith. We have to have faith. He will give it to us. He will open the door. We can inherit the promise. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence and your power. You have so much more for us. You are going to, just like that word, you are going to unlock doors. You are going to unlock doors to people's minds and spirits. You are going to give us the authority to bring people into this kingdom in the name of Jesus. And you've done that through us already. You've given us measures of that. We've had baptisms. I've, bring, I've brought people into the prophetic again and again. But Lord, you are calling us to a greater level of this. You are calling us to a bigger blessing. A bigger blessing of people being brought in. People being just hit with your power and giving us the keys. Lord, help us. Oh, and thank you. Thank you for this year. Thank you for this year and the revival that you're creating.